Take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 John chapter 2. First uh, John chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse number 1. We're going to read these first two verses. Again, thank you for joining us in worship, especially those of you who are watching online. Let's stand as we read God's Word in 1 John chapter 2 and begin in verse number 1. John says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You may be seated. We're in a series called Let There Be Life. We're going through 1 John, and last week we looked at let there be joy. Today we're looking at let there be peace. And so the question we want to ask you, as we've been focusing on that word peace all weekend, is this. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you truly have peace in your life? You know, we, we live in a world that is desperate for peace. Peace in our homes. Peace in the Middle East. Peace in our souls. There's a lot of people living in quiet desperation and inner restlessness. You can look the part. You, you can even be what most people would be the, the funniest person in the room, but yet inside you, you could be all tore up. I mean, that's what Robin Williams said. Robin Williams, who was one of the funniest people, one of the funniest comedians, he said this before he committed suicide. He says, I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. One of the funniest guys ever struggled with this mental health crisis of no peace. And maybe that's where you are. You just don't have peace. You, you hear around Christmas, everybody's excited, everybody's doing well, but inside you're just so tore up. And some of you have gone through terrible situations, terrible tragedies, ter t terrible things, and, and you're angry at God. And you hear the Christmas message, and, and didn't the angels say that when Jesus came, he would, he would bring peace on earth? And, and you're looking around, and you're saying, well, there's no peace anywhere, and there's no peace in here. And you're like, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, well, where's all this peace? Because the world seems to be full of hatred and conflict and division and racism and anger and turmoil. And if you don't believe me, just look at the news. Get on social media, talk to someone on the street, and it seems like that things are not getting better. As a matter of fact, this, this whole concept of the world not getting better is really what has led people to struggle with believing that Jesus is who he says he is. I mean, Bart Ehrman, who is the famous agnostic scholar and professor at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, he was asked this question. He said, what would it take for you to believe in Jesus? Bart Ehrman said, if Jesus had fulfilled his promise to bring peace on earth, I might believe in him. And some of you, you're like, well, this world's messed up. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, still messed up. What's the deal? Well, I wanna just ask you this. What if all the problems in this world and all the problems in your life really just, if you boiled it down, what if it just came from a broken relationship with God? Because all of us, deep down inside, we struggle with this sense of restlessness. We're in a hurry to get things done. We rush and rush until life's no fun. All we have to do is live and die, and we're in a hurry, and we don't know why. 
We don't have peace. We're constantly moving from one thing to the other thing. And then we look in the mirror and we're absolutely disgusted. We're absolutely just upset. And then we think of all the bad that's going on and all the concerns and all the conflict. And we have this anxiousness and this dissatisfaction. What if that is just a God-sized hole in your heart? I would say it is. That the reason you struggle with peace is because you're looking to fill a God-sized hole with things that are not God. And you're always gonna be restless until you find your rest in him. Well, that's what we're gonna talk about today. I know that was exciting. <laughs> John here is a 90-year-old man. He's a 90-year-old apostle. He'd been through every danger, toil, and snare, and he was clinging to the amazing grace of God. And as he's riding on the Isle of Patmos, as in his exile, he is writing to the next generation of believers. He was concerned for their assurance. He wanted them to know who Jesus is. He wanted them to know that they had eternal life. He wanted them to have assurance of their salvation. And he also wanted them to experience the joy, peace, hope, love, and life that is only found in Jesus. And that's what I want for you. And that's what we want for you here at First Naples. And so last week, if you happen to be here, uh, we looked at chapter one and we learned that joy uh, comes from having a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And we saw that joy comes when you know who Jesus is and when you share Jesus with others. Well, today in chapter two, we will see that although sin separates us from God, Jesus came to provide peace with God so that we can experience the peace of God. So let's just unpack this. It's going to be fun. Just stay with me. Here we go. The first thing I want you to see is that sin separates us from God. That's our biggest problem. The reason that we don't have peace is because sin separates us from God. Verse 1 John says, my little children. This is the first of seven times he uses that phrase. It's a term of endearment, it's not patronizing. Here he is calling these people that he's writing to beloved children. And the good news is this, is if you are a, a Christian, you are a beloved child of God. And so John here is writing as a spiritual granddaddy. He is saying to these next generation of believers, these, this, what I'm writing to you is specifically for you. I want to help you live your life and here is how I have done it, and here is what God has taught me. See, what makes a multi-generational church work is older people must be willing to lovingly invest in the next generation. And so when you moved to Naples to retire, you didn't move to retire from ministering to the next generation, amen? You actually are now given a greater opportunity and a platform to invest in the next generation. And the goal of our church is to raise up the next generation so that they would know Jesus and be people of the book. Well, for them to know Jesus, you have, for you, for them to know Jesus, you and I have to care for the next generation, know the next generation, and try to relate to the next generation. Now, some people think, well, pastor, you know what? I, I'm not hip. I'm not cool. And therefore, I can't really reach the next generation. Let me let you in on something. I, I'm getting older. I'm staring 40 in the face, and it's, it's getting rough, folks. <laughs> what the next generation is looking for is not someone to be who they're not. 
What, what the next generation is looking for is someone who is authentically themselves, who is credible and believable, not something that they are not. And what Generation Z is desperately longing for are spiritual grandmas, spiritual grandpas, spiritual moms, and spiritual dads, because the reality is, is that many of them have grown up in broken or dysfunctional homes. So if you want a way to serve the next generation, jump on in to our student ministry. We would love to help use you to help reach the next generation. So here John is concerned about the next generation and he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He's writing that they would see that sin is dangerous. You know, I don't know if you've read the Bible, but sin's a pretty big deal. And the Bible is, is pretty clear that God doesn't want us to sin. And the Bible is very clear that we're never better off when we sin. I just want to put this upon you because I have to remind myself this, even this week is that sin is poison. It's toxic. It's deadly. John here is writing to these newer believers saying, don't play around with sin because sin will thrill you until it kills you. Sin will fascinate you and then it will assassinate you. Playing with sin is like playing with fire in a pool of gasoline. It's fun for a minute. It's fun for a moment. But then it all goes up. What is sin? So glad you asked. The New City Catechism says that sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created. Sin is rebelling against God by living without reference to him. Sin is not being or doing what his law requires. And the result of sin is always death and the disintegration of all creation and relationships. Now, again, why should we not sin? Because some of you say, well, pastor, sin's pretty fun. <laughs> Here's why. Here's why sin may be fun for a season, but it's always stupid to do. Because verse John chapter one, verse five tells us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That God is pure and righteous, perfectly perfect. He is holy. R.C. Sproul says that holiness is the characteristic of God's nature that is at the very core of his being. That within God, there is no hint of evil, corruption, or injustice. That God is absolutely morally pure. That everything that God does is perfect, right, and good. He does nothing wrong at all. And so I love this verse. James chapter 1 verse 17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That God is not shifty. He's not shady. He's the Father of lights. And that God is the source of all good things. Anything in your life that you ever experienced that was good is from the God of light, the God who is light, the God who is good. So if you've ever had brisket <laughs> from Mission Barbecue and you've learned the secret of the white Alabama sauce, that is a gift from the Father above and it is good. If you've ever had banana pudding with whipped cream and not very many bananas, and cookies that are mushy, that is from God the Father. It is a good, good gift. Amen. So God is light. Sin is darkness. 
Sin is the antithesis of the God of light. So sin cannot be in the presence of God and God will not put up with the presence of sin. And so therefore, sin separates you from God and sin separates God from you. The Bible says that your iniquities have separated you and your God. And so just as you have this idea of light and darkness, that darkness cannot stand in the presence of light and light will never allow darkness to stand in its presence. And so God here is saying to us that John is saying to us, I'm writing this to you that you wouldn't sin. You're like, well, duh. But then what do we do? We sin. And so he says, if anyone does sin, and basically when, when you sin, and you're like, well, I don't sin. Well, John says in chapter one, if you say you don't sin, you are a liar. Because the reality is we're sinners. We're born this way. We're, we're bad to the bone. Like b -b 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 bad. <laughs> now, some of you, you walked in today after you went to that, con that country concert last night. Mm -hmm. I saw some pictures on Facebook. All right, I saw you. See, Facebook sees you when you're sleeping. <laughs> and TikTok knows when you're awake. And Instagram knows if you've been good or bad. So you better be, anyway. So you say, well, pastor, I'm not that bad of a person. Well, compared to who? Compared to Hitler? Okay. Compared to God, you're a pure evil. Because think about this. Your pretty goodness compared to a holy, perfect God is pretty wretchedness. See, the, the indictment of the Bible is that we love darkness rather than light. You say, not me, preacher. Well, let's just walk down the Ten Commandments. Anybody ever heard of the Ten Commandments before? <laughs> so let's just walk through something. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Have you ever worshipped anything other than God? Yes. So <laughs> we can't even make it past number one. Number two, have no other gods. Do you have any other gods? Yes, you will watch them after church on TV. Some of you men. Some of you ladies, the gods live in your house and you change their diapers. Three, have, don't use God's name in vain. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes, you've driven in Naples, okay? Keep the Sabbath. We're always busy. Our mentality is we'll sleep when we're dead. We've broken the Sabbath. Honor your parents. If you've ever been a teenager, nope, <laughs> you haven't. Don't murder. You say, well, I'm pretty good on that one. I haven't killed anybody lately. <laughs> Do you hate people? You're a murderer. Seven, don't commit adultery. Have you ever lusted? <laughs> Number eight, don't steal. Have you ever used someone else's Netflix account? <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. You know. Don't lie. You say, well, I don't tell lies. You're a liar. <laughs> don't covet. Well, that means just wanting something that's not yours. I mean, have you ever driven in Port Royal? I mean, <laughs> you ever going out to one of the new car lots there? Like, oh, yeah, man, brand new truck. That'd be great. Matter of fact, Christmas presents are coming up. Hey, I like blue. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Don't covet. 
Listen, if we're honest with each other, we're all messed up. And look, here's a reality. We kind of make a little light and it is a little funny, but here's the deal. We're all messed up. We just really are. One out of every one of us in this room and everyone watching online is a sinner. I mean, think about this. If you were to take the top 10 highlights of this year that you've done, where you were the best version of you and they were to be in a highlight reel and, and they were to be on display for everyone. And then as soon as that highlight reel was over of your 10 best moments into 2023, then the next set would be the top 10 lowest worst moments of 2023. Would you want that whole thing played? No, no. Because as good as you have been, your bad outweighs your good. And because of this, because God is light and in him is no darkness, and because we love darkness rather than light, that sin separates us from God, causes conflict with God, and robs us of peace with God. And because we don't have peace with God, because we're all failures in the sin department, we are broken and guilty before a holy God, and therefore we don't have neither peace with God, nor do we experience the peace of God in our lives. And because we don't experience peace with God, we struggle to have peace with other people and we struggle to have peace within ourselves and we live under the crushing weight of a broken relationship. Think about this. Have you ever looked into the mirror and said, why am I the way I am? Why am I so miserable? Why am I so unhappy? Why am I so insecure and paranoid? Why am I so hateful and mean? Why am I so unkind? Why why am I in turmoil? Like a wretched man that I am, wretched woman that I am, who can deliver me? Who can save me from this bearing, crushing guilt and shame? See, our biggest problem is not the government. Our biggest problem is not Hollywood. It's not China or Russia. Our biggest problem is ourselves because we're sinners and we're separate from God, but the good news is is that Jesus provides peace with God. See, our biggest problem is us, but our only solution is Jesus. So walk with me on this, verse one. He says at the end, he says, I'm writing this to you so that you don't sin, but when you do sin, we, and he's talking to believers here, we have an advocate with the Father. The word advocate here, maybe you're new to that word, but it's the, it's the Greek word paraclete, parakletos. That word can be translated helper, comforter, counselor, defender, friend, someone who is on your side. Like nationwide is on your side, parakletos is on your side. Jesus actually referred to himself as a helper in John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Okay? Now this is greater than hamburger helper, okay? This helper will be with you forever. And so what the Bible teaches, this is just kind of your gee whiz file, just tuck it away, is that if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you have a helper in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit. But the Bible teaches in this verse that we also have a helper in heaven. That's Jesus. So it says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Now, an advocate is an attorney. Now, I know last week, if you were here, attorney's got some, a little bit of a bad rap. But there is a time in your life when you might need one, right? So we thank you, all you attorneys in the room. But an advocate is a legal proxy. 
An advocate is someone who has an official relationship with you so that whatever the advocate achieves, you achieve, and whatever the advocate loses, you lose. And it means, an advocate means that you've entered into a relationship with a person so that that person represents you so that what the person does is transferred to you. So let me illustrate this. A few months ago, Anna and I were going on a daddy date, and we went on a daddy date to Disney, okay? And while we were driving up 17, because you don't want to go 75, and Sarasota is a pain in the neck, and I-4 is in the pit of you-know-where, and so driving up 17, heading towards uh, Disney, we were singing the Disney songs, Anna and I, we were singing zippity doo dar zippity day and then all of a sudden I saw these, just these lights flashing behind me, <laughs> and I happened to have someone pull me over from Polk County's Finest. The officer came out, he, he knocks on the window, I roll the window down, uh, and, and, and it's been a while since I, I've had a ticket, and so I didn't, you know, it's what, what all, you know, so he says, license, and, and I give him my license, and, and uh, he says, sir, do you know that you were speeding? And, and I said, no, not really. He said, yeah, you were going X number of miles over the speed limit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to share too much more of that. But anyway, and so, oh, I said, oh, really? I'm so sorry. And so he went back to his car and I thought, oh, this will be kind of cool. You know, maybe he'll kind of figure out I'm a preacher or something and give me some grace or mercy. And he comes back and here's what he did. He came back and you know what he gave me? He gave me a ticket, you know? And he looked at me and he says, hey, you can either pay the fine online or you can appear in court to appeal. Now, in my mind, I really wasn't afraid of the price of the ticket. What I was afraid of is getting points on my license so that my insurance goes up. Can I get a witness? I was afraid of my insurance going up. And so I was a little nervous, so I, I you know, thought, what, what should I do? And so I was talking to somebody who works here who has had this happen to them a few times. <laughs> And Omar told me about the ticket clinic. <laughs> so Omar told me about the ticket clinic and he said that if you go online, you can, for $99.95, you can have someone stand for you and, and get you out of the, the ticket. And so, uh, so I pay the ninety nine ninety five, and, and I get a summons in the mail and a, this is from Polk County and, and it says that you have to stand on this date. I think it was November the 9th and you have to go there, uh, but you're going to be represented by an attorney and have the attorney's name who is from the ticket clinic. And so the ticket clinic, I mean, ninety nine ninety five. I mean, think about that. So the ticket clinic attorney appeared on my behalf, stood as my advocate. Now here, I don't know what the guy said, because it happened to be a guy. And I'm just sitting there thinking, he's probably saying, you know what, listen, Alan Brumbach is guilty, but please don't give him points. Save him from his insurer. <laughs> and so guess what happened? The case was dismissed. Okay, so I don't have to worry about Troy Baker getting after me, all right? And I, all I had to pay was the court fees, which just so happened to be the same price as the ticket. It's just amazing how that worked out. <laughs> you say, well, Pastor, why, why are you telling this funny story and telling on people? Here's why. If you are a Christian, you have an advocate. And John tells us who he is. Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
And he is far better than Morgan and Morgan, all right? Because think about this. Who could stand before the judge of all the earth with a clean conscience? Who could stand on your side when you know you are as guilty as sin? Who could stand on your side in the face of the law's demands and Satan's accusations? Only the spotless, sinless, undisputed, undefeated son of God. Only Jesus. But if he's Jesus Christ the righteous, how can Jesus Christ the righteous Stand in my defense when he knows I'm as guilty as sin. So glad you asked. It tells us in verse number two. For he is our propitiation. Now that's a big theological word. And I want you to understand, some preachers, they don't like to use big theological words they feel like we've got to dumb it down. But here's, here's my understanding. If you can memorize your coffee order at Starbucks, you can memorize this word. I mean, this is easier to say than a venti latte, frappuccino, macchino, hama, human, hana, hana, with nitroglycerin in it, okay? <laughs> Propitiation. Here's what it means. The payment that satisfies. So if you've ever paid off a mortgage, paid off a car, when you paid it off, you propitiated. You made the payment that satisfied the debt. This word in the Old Testament or in the Greco-Roman world was often connected with appeasing or adverting divine anger. And so Jesus on the cross propitiated, made a payment that satisfied the wrath of God. Now for you biblical scholars, stay with me. I wanna give you four theological words that describe your salvation. This is worth writing down. The first word is expiation. It is a ritual word. It's a word that refers to the cleansing or the removal of sin. And so your salvation, your sin was expiated. It was removed from you. So that when John says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what that word means. That when you are saved, when you were forgiven, your sins were cleansed from you. You are zestfully clean. You are completely clean. Expiation. The second word is redemption. It's a commercial term. It speaks that your freedom was purchased, that there has been a commercial transaction that at the cross and in the empty tomb, your sin was paid for in full. The third word is justification. It's a legal term, which means that you are declared legally righteous before the holy judge that you are declared justified just as if you have never sinned. The fourth word is propitiation. It is a relational term. The word that will help you remember this is that word pro. It means for. Because of Jesus, God is pro you. Jesus has purchased your forgiveness and now God is for you. He is pro you. He is not against you. Christmas tells us the story of God becoming a man so that he can die for the sins of humanity. But Jesus is more than a moral example. Jesus came to this earth on a rescue mission to save us from ourselves, our sin, and the wrath of God. 
At the cross, Jesus paid for our sins. And when Jesus cried, it is finished, it meant that all of our past, present, and future sins have been paid for and that God no longer looks at us with disdain and will never, ever be dissatisfied with us because we've been propitiated. See, when we think of the cross and we think of the work of Christ, I want you to think of two sides to the work of Christ. See, Jesus is not just the dying savior, as one scholar said. He's the doing savior. When you think of the work of Christ, you know, people say, well, Jesus died for me. And that's true. Jesus on the cross represented you. He represented you on the cross and that your sins were transferred to him. All of your sins, past, present, future, given to him, and he paid for them. But that's just one side of the work of Jesus. The other side of the work of Jesus is not just that Jesus represented you on the cross, but that Jesus represents you now in heaven. Just as your sins were transferred to Jesus on the cross, his righteousness is now transferred to you. So you say, all right, what does this have to do with anything? Stay with me. Jesus died for you. That's one side of the work of Christ. Jesus now intercedes for you. That's the other side of the work of the cross of Christ. So here's the scene in heaven right now, this week. I just want to let you all in on something. I sinned this week, okay? I did. I watched Kentucky yesterday, almost lost my religion. I'll just tell you straight up. I get the Holy Ghost sometimes. And then the devil just comes in. So when Jesus Christ the righteous goes to the Father, here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, Father, just give Alan one more chance. You know, he didn't mean to do what he did. He's a good person. Father, he's just a victim of his circumstances would you just show him some mercy? That's not what Jesus says in heaven when I sin. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus Christ the righteous says, Father, forgive Alan because I lived a perfect life for Alan. I died on the cross for Alan's sins and my record stands for Alan's record. I paid for all of his sin. And so Jesus, when he goes to the Father, he doesn't ask or plead for mercy. He asks and pleads for justice because it would be unjust for God to punish me for my sins that Jesus has already paid for. I was pastoring in Sanford, and if, if you're familiar with Sanford, Florida, there, Trayvon Martin was, was murdered there. There have been other what I would call injustices that have been done in the city, racial injustices. And there had been, throughout my time there for 12 years, there were people who were hurt by these tragedies. And they would band together and they would, they would have signs and, and they would, and, and I've, I've been with them and, and they would have signs that say, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. And we've seen signs like that all throughout our country. And, and there is still a great bit of injustice still going on, unfortunately, in our world. And it's the pain of injustice that cries out, no justice, no peace. And what that means is this. Some of y'all get a little sideways when you hear me talk about that, but you shouldn't get sideways. Here's what that means. It's true. 
Until there is justice, there will be no peace. According to the Bible, that is 100% true. No justice, no peace. See, if God's justice did not prevail at the cross, there would never be any peace with God. But because God's justice prevailed at the cross, then peace is available. And so why this is important is this, stay with me, is that I know that I have asked this of God and you've probably asked this of God. Have you ever said to God, God, please just give me another chance. Don't throw me away. Don't forsake me. God, just, just give me one more chance and I promise I will, I'll, I'll be better next time. If you are a Christian, you never have to ask God for another chance because Jesus has done everything necessary for you to be right with God forever. And it's not that you ask God to forgive you and then Jesus works out a deal and you go on probation. And it's that Jesus has fulfilled your probation and there is neither probation nor condemnation in Jesus Christ. There, there, there will always be someone to accuse you. Satan, whose word, the name Satan means accuser, will be the leading prosecuting attorney against you. Satan will remind you and condemn you of your past and your conscience will condemn you and accuse you and remind you. One of our pastors on staff, Mark Bates, who leads our sports outreach, a few years ago was on the very verge of death with COVID-19. As he was languishing in the hospital room, not knowing if he was going to live or not, he said that while he was in that bed, there were thoughts that came into his head. Thoughts of accusation saying that if you really are a Christian, how could you have said what you said? How could you have done what you have done? How could you have thought what you thought? You can't really be a Christian. You're really not going to heaven. You are an evil person. You are a bad person. You have no hope. And Mark said he laid there in the bed in tears. And he said that he realized that all of that was just lies of the enemy, robbing him of his peace in Jesus. Because if you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you have trusted him as your savior, then Romans 8, says this, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Jesus. See, when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of your guilt within, upward you look and see him there, the one who made an end of all of your sin. And because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the justice satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Jesus came to bring peace with God. That you're no longer an enemy combatant, 
but a beloved child of God, that when God sees you, he doesn't look at you with hate or disdain, but with love and joy, that you, because of Jesus, are loved and accepted in the eyes of the only person whose opinion ultimately matters. And because you can have this peace with God, you can experience the peace of God. That even though the world is falling apart around you, you are not falling apart inside of you. Because peace is not the absence of problems. It is the presence of God in your life. See, when you have peace with God, you can have peace within yourself that even though you have problems, your problems don't have you. And the more you keep your heart focused on your peace that has been purchased by Jesus with God, the more you keep your minds focused on what Jesus did for you to bring you peace, the more you will experience the peace of God in your life. Now, let me just do this side thing. I am not telling you right now that because of Jesus, you have a license to sin and you can do whatever you want. Because John is going to say in chapter two that if you go on continually, deliberately sinning, you may not be a Christian at all. Not that you had it and lost it, but that you never wore it to begin with. But he does say if you do sin, then there's hope. God doesn't just throw you away. He says at the end of verse two, he says that that Jesus is not only the payment that satisfied for our sins, but he's also the payment that satisfies for the sin of the whole world. Jesus, John here is not saying that Jesus' death on the cross paid the sin debt of everyone everywhere so that all will be forgiven and everyone will go to heaven. That's not true because John's gonna write in this letter that not everyone is going to heaven. Not everyone has eternal life. Not everyone is right with God. So what does he mean here that he paid for the sins of the whole world? What does it mean that he's a propitiation of the whole world? Here's what it means. The whole world means this. It means that Jesus is the payment that satisfies for all kinds of sinners and all kinds of sin. That Jesus died on the cross to save all kinds of sinners and all kinds of sins because it tells us here that there is no one too far or too bad for God. Isaiah 59.1 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. God is not like T-Rex, where his teeth are longer than his arms. But God's arms of grace are longer than your ability to run. That if God's grace and your sins were in a race together, that your sin would be no match for the grace of God, that God's grace will win every time. Are you restless? Are you weary? Are you in turmoil within? You're not alone. In 1987, a group called U2. You ever heard of U2? And Bono sang one of the greatest songs of the 1980s. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Some of you all know this song because you grew up in the 80s. Some of you all know this song because a lion in scene two sang it. But Bono said that this song was a gospel-based song with a restless spirit. Just hear it. 
this mountain I have run through the fields only to be with you only to be what you're looking for it's who you're looking for and his name is Jesus and if you know Jesus you know his peace and if you don't know Jesus he's the peace you're looking for and I want you to know that you can have that peace that that peace is not found in a bottle it's not found in anywhere else other than Jesus Christ and if you're here, and if you just be honest with me, listen, you, if you want peace with God, you have only get it on, on God's terms. And God's terms for peace are absolute surrender. And so today, if you've never given your life to Christ, or if you're watching online, you've never given your life to Christ, I wanna give you that opportunity right now. So we just, everyone in this room, bow your heads, and I would ask, if you can, try not to walk away, and try not to leave, but if you're here, and you want peace, you want peace with God, the peace you're looking for, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have chosen to go my way. I'm empty and broken inside. But today, Jesus, I realize that you died for me on the cross, that you rose from the dead. And so today I ask that you forgive me of my sins and that you save me and that you help me to live for you all the days of my life. I surrender my life to you in Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray for those who have trusted you today that today would be the day of their salvation. Oh, Lord Jesus, have your way today in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, and that chair back in front of you is this card. It's an ABCD card. And if you have trusted Jesus today for the first time, we want to know, or maybe you want to make a decision. So just put your name and your phone number and email. And maybe today you already are a Christian, but you have a prayer request. And so on the back, you can write your prayer request. Or maybe you are a believer, but you've never publicly proclaimed that through baptism. So you could put the letter B. Or maybe today, like others this weekend, you put Jesus Christ at the center of your life. You surrendered your life to him. You put the letter C and say, I've committed my life to Jesus. Or maybe... You just wanna know how you can become a part of this faith family here. You just put the letter D and I wanna learn how to become a part of the church and wanna discover First Naples. And I want you to take it at the end of our service and put it in one of our connection boxes or give it to someone in guest services. We would love to help you take a next step. Well, because of Jesus, fear is not our future. Let's stand and let's sing that wonderful truth that fear is not our future. <laughs>